middle of the country, but not middle of the road opinions. It's the podcast dedicated to sports in the air capital of the world. I'm going to Wichita. Wichita, Kansas, and beyond with Tommy Castor and Blake Cripps. This is Keeper of the Games. Some may say that we are wildly unqualified. Some may say that we are just mildly entertaining. I say that we are exactly where we are supposed to be. Unfortunately, maybe not exactly where we'd want to be, though, because we're not talking about any Kansas teams in the Final Four. Look like we might have one. Maybe not the one that we were expecting, but as it turns out, Kansas State and KU both are not dancing in the NCAA tournament. We'll discuss it all right here on the Keeper of the Games podcast. I believe this is episode number 114. Blake Cripps, Tommy Castor joining you. Welcome those of you listening online at cogsports.com or watching watching our videos on YouTube or our Facebook page, facebook.com slash keeper of the games. Tommy, you know, for a moment there, it looked like the state of Kansas was after all going to get a team in the final four. But as we will be discussing here on the show today, just uh, not quite meant to be, but what have you made of March madness and how trashed is your bracket? It's bad. Uh, And what a, what a (laughs) wild March madness it's been. Uh, Of course, all the teams that, had high hopes coming into the tournament that those high hopes were quickly dashed. Happens every single year. It's what makes the NCAA tournament probably the greatest sporting event in the entire calendar year. I agree. Just because of all of the the major upsets and the excitement. And uh, you, you, you can't turn the channel for one second for fear of missing something. So uh, it's so much fun as we record this show. The Final Four is in place. We do not yet know who the national champion will be, but uh, I don't think anybody ever would have thought that the final four that we have in place wouldn't be the final four. It's been wild. Yeah, I mean, it's like the only time since the field expanded to 64 with no ones, twos, or threes in the Final Four. So, yeah, it's been absolutely crazy. Coming up on the show today, and of course, we always like to remind you, like, share, and subscribe to the show. We're on all everything in terms of audio, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google, Apple, so many other options. And, of course, you can always follow us at CogPod on Twitter or on our individual Twitter handles right there on the bottom of the screen if you are watching on YouTube or Facebook today. KU also with a little bit of a short run this year and Kansas State making the Elite Eight one step away from the Final Four. We'll also talk about a new coach at Wichita State. So very, very heavy into basketball today. But the run for the Cats is where we will start as Kansas State ends its season 26-10. and 10. They win 11-7 and 7 in the Big 12 this year. And after kind of floundering down the stretch in conference play, we didn't really know what we were going to see out of this team. This is a team that got bounced in the first round of the Big 12 tournament, came in to the NCAA tournament and played pretty solid basketball the first weekend, a solid win over Montana State, and then a six-point win over Kentucky, a gutsy win over Michigan State in overtime, and all that stood between the Wildcats and the Final Four were the number nine seed Florida Atlantic Owls. But it's the Owls to, that win it, 79-76. There is a late run in this game by Florida Atlantic that lifted the 25th-ranked Owls past the 15th-ranked Wildcats. It looked like for a moment there that Kansas State was going to escape, but Florida Atlantic able to get the key baskets down the stretch that they needed. We're going to talk about that last possession, obviously, for Kansas State. Obviously, in totality, Tommy, you know, Jerome Tang and the job that he has done, this was a team that was picked dead last in the Big 12, I believe, and dead last by like a million miles compared to everybody else. We thought that this team was going to be terrible this year. We had no expectations of this whatsoever, thought it was going to take time, thought it was going to take a couple of years to be in the position to compete for a Big 12 championship. They did compete until the last month of the season to be up there with the elite. They beat KU this season. Uh, This is a program that is certainly on the come up, has certainly asserted itself as being a program that is going to be fighting and contending to be in that very short top tier behind KU in the new Big 12. Once we get the new members in and once Oklahoma and Texas depart to the SEC, the job that he did this year, you know, in in my mind, Jerome Tang or Coach Terry from Texas, those two guys, one of them has to be the coach of the year 
because the expectations for Kansas State were not there. They were three points away from going to the Final Four. So just overall for Kansas State, what an incredible run they had this year to get to the point where they were, to get to the point where they are now. And you know, Tommy, that in, you know I don't talk about recruiting a whole ton, and I don't like to talk about recruiting. I will never like to talk about recruiting, but you know that this is going to make such a huge difference in recruiting, in season ticket sales. Kansas State fans have been yearning to be relevant in basketball, and they are more than relevant in basketball now. Uh, They'll be one of the favorites to win the conference next year. It all starts with Gene Taylor, the athletic director, um, and and what he's done. Um, I mean, he was named athletic director of the year by his peers just this week. Um, And think of the hires of Chris Kleiman and Jerome Tang. Those two hires, Uh, they take, uh, pardon my French, some balls. Like to, to make those hires, to hire uh, an FCS coach in football to replace the legend Bill Snyder and to have the trust that it would pan out to a Big 12 championship this year, to hire Jerome Tang, who had no prior head coaching experience in college basketball and seeing what he's done in year one. I mean, those hires were gutsy hires and he trusted it and he and they paid off for him in dividends. As far and as there Jerome were some Tang fans is, that didn't like sure. the climb and hire. They were saying, yeah, we can't get somebody better than this guy from FBS, like what are, or FCS. What are we doing? Uh, maybe Gene Taylor knows a little something about what he is looking for in a coach. Yeah, and, and I think that, you know, with Tang specifically and the job that he's done this season, I don't disagree with you that uh, what he's done, I would even put him a rung above Rodney Terry. I think Rodney Terry's done a really good I job. I agree. I 100% Texas agree. And, and steadying the ship there with all the drama with Chris Beard and leading them to an Elite Eight uh, when that team could have folded up. But with Jerome Tang and, and how far down those expectations were for the Wildcats entering the season and how far he out, he exceeded those expectations and outperformed those expectations, yeah, for me, like it's, it's a no-brainer. I think the only coach that might stand in the way of a coach of the year might be Dusty May at Florida Atlantic uh, just because of what they've done and going, you know, going all the way to a final four. But what Jerome Tang has done is remarkable. And the thing that is so incredible about coach Tang, you and I, if anybody listening to the show, you, the one thing you probably know about Blake and I is that we're, we're KU guys. Uh, and and we, we, are. Oh, we always have been right. Um, but the, and I think we the always one, will be, but I think the one thing that I can say, and I don't want to speak for you, I would, I, I you can put it in your own words, but what I respect so much about Jerome Tang is everything is authentic. It's everything is genuine. And we've seen a ton of coaches over the years, you know, use the bully pulpit to, you know, espouse their their beliefs and their opinions and all of this stuff. And a lot of times it, it falls on, you know, empty ears because it doesn't always come across as genuine, right? You see their actions on the sidelines or you hear you hear different things or just doesn't come across as realistic. With Jerome Tang, he doesn't just talk the talk, he walks the walk. And so everything that I've seen from him and the stories that I've heard just solidify how high of a character guy he is. And like you mentioned, the Wildcat uh, faithful, they had been yearning for a coach like that for a long time, yearning for a coach to unite them, to bring them all together and do it in a way that um, emphasizes positivity and character and class and, you know, doing things the right way, the development, the, the support, all of that stuff. It's just incredible. And so it made it easy nationally to get behind the Wildcats because of Jerome Tang, because of the great story with Keontae Johnson, because of the the great play from Marquise Noel and all of the role players made it easy to root for them. I'm no K-State fan, but you better believe in the Elite Eight game. I was cheering for the Wildcats, man. Like, it was fun to watch. And I'm like, man, they could get to a Final Four. They could win a national championship. Uh, And so that is all credit to Jerome Tang and the kind of guy that he is. Not just the kind of coach he is, but the kind of person that he is. Don't worry, KU fans. I was not cheering for Kansas State. I wasn't cheering against them, but I wasn't cheering for them. Um, It was absolutely a tremendous accomplishment. But you look at how this game played out, and I know for some Kansas State fans, this is going to be a run that you will always remember as saying, what could have been? Because the Kansas State Wildcats had a six-point lead with eight minutes and 39 seconds to play, and Florida Atlantic responded with a 15 
15-1 run to take an eight-point lead with three minutes left in the ball game as Kansas State totally lost their way offensively and they never trailed again as the Owls were able to keep Kansas State. The Wildcats made an incredible run to try to get back into the ball game. They got within three, ran out of time at the end, and you know you mentioned Noel. He was the East Regional uh, most outstanding player, incredibly deservedly so. 30 points, 10 assists, uh, another game high in points, 12 assists and 5 steals. He played every single second of that game. He was absolutely incredible and the first player to go 25 points, 10 assists since Dwayne Wade got knocked out by the Kansas Jayhawks on their way to the Final Four back in 2003. Keontae Johnson just was never really a factor in this game. He got in those early fouls, early foul problems, 18 minutes, he scored only 9 points. There was only a one of the Wildcat in double figures with 14 from Tomlin, who was good. I mean, Tomlin played really well, but, yeah. man, you wonder if Johnson is able to play more than 18 minutes. I have to believe he's going to score 15 points. That's a three-point win for Kansas State. So the foul problems for Johnson, they really hamstrung the Wildcats in this game. He fouled out early, and even though Marquise Noel was all-world and he was you know, one of the best, even though they didn't make the Final Four, in my opinion, he's one of the best players in the tournament. Yeah. Even if he, he's not going to play a single Final Four game, and he, in my opinion, should be on the, you know, I don't know if they do an all-tournament team. He's all NCAA tournament to me because right. Kansas State does not get through Michigan State the way that they did. I know we're kind of glossing over the rest of the tournament that they played really, really well in, but this is the the game that decided everything for them. Um, you know, he was all NCAA tournament, but Keontae Johnson not being there long-term really, really hurt the Wildcats. They could have used his size his athleticism and he was a matchup problem for the owls but couldn't keep himself in the game so all season long and especially in conference play uh through the tournament my biggest question with the wildcats had been um you know you've got Keontae johnson and marquise noel both of them are all americans uh do the wildcats need a third option uh to be able to be effective consistently to be able to make a really really deep run turns out I was thinking about that wrong all along. It wasn't when there's two of them, do they need a third? The question is what happens when one of them goes down? And Mm. if one of them goes down, then what happens outside of the other one? And that's exactly what happened uh, in the game against Florida Atlantic. Keontae Johnson went down with that foul trouble, and then you really, really saw the Wildcats struggle on the offensive side of the ball, figuring out exactly the best way to uh, attack Florida Atlantic. And, you know, one of the things that Kansas State has done for most of the season is, you know, a lot of times they like to run ISOs. They like to clear things out for Marquise Noel to go to work. Uh, And, you know, whether he's shooting it himself or passing the ball. And one of the, by the way, in the game against Michigan State, I don't know if I've ever seen anybody control the game on the offensive side of the court like Marquise Noel did, whether he was shooting it or passing it. I mean, he, he at one point, he was like, unbelievable. He was, uh, he was pacing for like 28 points and 28 assists. Like it was ridiculous. <laughs> uh, and he still finished with an incredible line. But, he when Keontae Johnson went down with the injury, really at that point, the only option that Marquise Noel had was to drive in, try to draw contact and shoot. There was really no other option uh, because everybody else is fairly inconsistent uh, offensively for the Wildcats. So that really became a big issue down the stretch for Kansas State. And then also just the rebounding. And I know that for oh, Florida, for Florida huge. Atlantic, you know, they've got a dude that's like five, seven, that looks like uh, Ivan Drago and Rocky four. Uh, I mean, the dude is like <laughs> Russian and, and mean, uh, but he's, you know, he was he was dominant on the boards. And, you know, that had been somewhat of an issue throughout the season for the Wildcats. It became a little bit more glaring during the Kentucky game. But at that point, I chalked it up while they're playing Oscar Sheboy. So what do you expect? He's the yeah, best, he's like rebounder, the best in the rebounder in the tournament. Yeah. yeah. So like, what do you expect on that? I didn't think much of it, but it really came to, to bear its ugly head in the game against Florida Atlantic uh, when the Owls were just able to out rebound them on both ends of the court. So I well, think those things the- were crucial too. You, 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 it's so hard to overcome against a team like Florida Atlantic 
that has that confidence. They don't play, you know, the, there's so many people who have talked about, oh, see, the Big 12 wasn't as good, didn't get anybody to the Final Four. Like, it's grow up. How many teams did the your, SEC get in the Final Four? How many teams did the Big 10 get in the Final Four? Like, use your brain and think about How this a little bit. How many teams did the Pac-12 get in the Final Four? Uh, that, that would also be zero, Tommy. So, you know, you look at all these conferences and, and how, you know, they play, and it's always different. Kansas State came in with confidence, or actually probably didn't come in with confidence after a first-round loss and kind of didn't play very good, but they were able to find it, and, you know, because they have a great head coach, they were able, and good leaders like Keontae Johnson and like Marquise Noel, you know, they were able to figure it out in the tournament. But you have a team like Florida Atlantic that's 34-3 and going into that game. Now they're 35-3, and and yeah, did they play in a league that's much, 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 much lesser than the Big 12? Absolutely. Would they go 35-3 and if they played in the Big 12? Not a bleeping chance. But in Conference USA, they're able to build character. They're able to build confidence in one another and what they do. And you don't have to be good for a long stretch of time when you're in the NCAA tournament. By the way, Conference you, USA is a better conference than people think this year. Um, and, and again, they're, they're still not a Power 5 conference, but you've got an all-Conference USA NIT finals with North Texas and UAB yeah. in the NIT and Florida Atlantic in the Final Four. You've got three teams. Now they're departing Conference USA, all three of them, this year to go to the American. But uh, well, this the, season... So the Shockers, if you think your, yeah. your conference is going <laughs> right. to get a whole lot easier, exactly. maybe not. Exactly. But uh, you know, I will say, though, that um, to your point, as far as Florida Atlantic building character, they might have a great record, but I'm sure that they were tested all season long with some good competition with North Texas and UAB and you know, some of those other teams in that conference USA. Well, not only that, but Charlotte won the CBI, right? Yeah. And yeah. they're going to the American too. So, yeah. you know, it's all, all American teams winning all these leagues. So this is a, a league that plays good basketball. And when you give a confident team like that, a 15 to two advantage on second chance points, right? That can't be overcome. It just can't be overcome. They out-rebounded Kansas State by nine, and they out-rebounded them overall by 22. Against a team that doesn't believe in itself, you can overcome that. But Kansas State, even though they shot a great percentage from three, even though they shot a decent percentage from the field, they got out-rebounded. They, in the game, committed three more fouls, and they got outscored at the free-throw line by six. And in this time of year in Elite Eight, how many times have we talked about this with KU teams about, man, they the other team happened to have their best three-point shooting day of the year, and KU wasn't able to overcome that. And in this case, it's I don't know how good of a rebounding team that Florida Atlantic was all season. I mean, I'm sure that Golden was, uh, was a great rebounder the whole year just because he's got a big frame, and he went – Went for 14 and 13 against KU, but they were a lot more balanced. They had four players in double figures. And you look at what Florida Atlantic does and you say, you know, they maybe they had their best rebounding game of the year. And certainly I'm sure that they haven't beaten a ton of teams 15 to two in second chance points, certainly not the caliber of Kansas State. So when you were able to let them do that. That just makes your makes your job so much more difficult when you don't have Keontae Johnson on the bench for more than eighteen minutes. Yeah, it really does, and and you know, the, it really what Keontae Johnson brings to the table is just his creativity, you know, and the the fact that um, he gives you some athleticism that you you don't otherwise have. That was why I mean, when he came to to Kansas State uh, and, and announced that he was transferring there, of course, my first thought was, can he play? Like, can he be healthy enough to play? Uh, my, my second thought was, man, if he can and he's healthy, then he can be a difference maker right away for this Kansas State team. And I think that what Jerome Tang has done with the transfer portal this season, keep in mind, they might be losing Keontae Johnson and Marquise Noel. They've got a great recruiting class coming in next season. 
again, it's, it's got to, you know, unsurprisingly, you got to, you got to have that translate on the court, right? But at least on paper right now, they've got a great recruiting class. So the, the concern for Jerome Tang was never, what does year two and beyond look like for what look like for the Wildcats? It was, what does year one right away look like for the Wildcats? They lost Nigel Pack. They lost basically everyone outside of Ish Masood and Marquise Noel. And, you know, Tang brought them together with the transfer portal. And so that tells me that it can be done in this new world, this new world of college basketball. Uh, rebuilds don't need to take multiple years. They can happen fairly quickly with the transfer yeah. portal. The last few minutes of the ball game, the Kansas State Wildcats, obviously, with a chance to tie on the last possession, and they don't get a shot off. And everybody at the watch party that I was at, Tommy, was saying, why did Noel pass the ball? Yeah. Um, you know, on the on the drive before, to answer that question, what I... What I'm postulating in my mind is you'll recall like the the possession before or maybe the possession before that when I think it was only a one or a two point game and I, I think it was a one point game and Noel drives hard right. FAU doesn't really turn him, and but he misses the layup. Yeah. It's a little too hard, doesn't get the foul call. A totally justified decision in my mind because they had put him on the line a couple of times. Noel is, I mean, who else in the world for Kansas State would you want to be shooting free throws late in a pressure pack game other than Noel? I mean, he's a 90% free throw shooter. So he's looking to get himself on the line, but he doesn't draw enough contact. He doesn't get that call. And I'm, and I'm not saying that it may be that it couldn't have been a foul. I don't think it was egregious that it wasn't a foul, didn't but it also, wasn't called. Didn't he also miss a couple of front ends of one and ones too? At least one. I know of one for sure when he did get to the line and he missed the front end. Um, you know, so there there were some struggles there, and he's a ninety percent free throw shooter. So he missed one in the game. He was yeah. nine for ten so in the game. Bit, maybe that I, might I think that might was in a, kind of in a clutch, you know, down the stretch situation. The thing about Marquise Noel, I don't want to take anything away from him. He's an incredible player. There's a reason he was most outstanding player. Kansas State, though, uh, you know, the, the the their identity, at least offensively, their identity was tied to Marquise Noel. And, and as great of a player as Keontae Johnson is their identity was Marquise Noel and they were going to live or die at the hands by the hands of Marquise Noel. And, you know, the, throughout the entire season, the, I mean, I don't know how many different times I would throw my hands up in the air and be like, why are you shooting that Marquise? Like you're on the logo. What are you doing? And then, and then he would make it. And then you're like, switch. Oh, okay. Okay. Like fair enough. And you know, so it, that happened in the Kentucky game. It happened in the Michigan state game. Uh, he just took the game over and everybody just like sat back and they were like, holy cow, you know. So, he, so with that context, aren't you surprised that they didn't, that Coach Tang didn't try to go with something that was for Noel? The only thing that I can think of is maybe he said they are probably going to try to foul you. Yeah to keep the three-pointer out of your hands and make somebody else shoot a three. So be looking to pass in case they try to foul you with under five seconds left. I think they got the ball. It was like eight and a half or something or 8.6 from the opposite baseline or maybe wherever it was. It was about eight and a half seconds. And so maybe he was thinking they're going to try to foul me. We don't want to get into a free throw war with five seconds left in the game. I need to get the ball to somebody who can at least take a three-point attempt but that might be part of it. That might be part of it. But I think that, you know, I might be overthinking it, but boy, wouldn't you rather have Noel shooting that last shot and have the ball in his hands rather than anybody else. And, and, you know, in the context, the, the long time wildcat in his hometown to go to the final four, like, yeah, of course the story kind of writes itself there. (laughs) It Uh, does. You know, what, with what he did against Kentucky and then what he did against Michigan state. And then even, what he did in the first half against Florida Atlantic, it all made sense. Like, okay, this is the Marquise Noel show. Just keep it going. And I don't know if it was, you know, he just wasn't making the shots at the clip that everybody was used to in the second half, or if there were some adjustments made by Dusty May. It might have been a combination of both. But some of those uh, shots that we had been celebrating throughout the tournament you kind of started to think like, okay, like it's not, it's not quite working here in the second half. Like Keontae Johnson's on the bench. Let's do something else. Let's try to find something else. And that goes back to my original point. What happens when one of them goes down? Can it be Desi Sills consistently? No. Can it be Naquan Tomlin consistently? No. You know? And, and so that was, I think that was something that as the year went on, 
I started to understand like, yeah, you've got two great players, but there's no guarantee that you're going to be able to keep both of them on the floor at the same time all the time. You've got to have some other options. And unfortunately for the Wildcats, they just didn't have that. Kansas State still an incredible season into the regional final, an elite eight for the first time since the Bruce Weber era. And I think that this is the, a chance for, and in Jerome Tank's first year as Kansas State's head coach, I think it's the first of many, many deep runs. Will one of them end up in a national championship one day? Who knows? But I think that Kansas State is going to be knocking on the door and getting to a lot of Sweet 16s here in the next few years with Jerome Tang at the helm. The Kansas Jayhawks also had a shorter trip than they would have liked in this year's big dance, losing in the second round a one-point heartbreak loss for the Jayhawks. They fall to number eight seed Arkansas, 72-71, after a first half that they kind of struggled to defend Howard, but Howard gave up 50 at the half. The Jayhawks ended up cruising to a 96-68 win there, and the Jayhawks jumped all over Arkansas in the first few moments of the game, but for whatever reason, KU lost some confidence down the stretch in the second half of this game. Arkansas making a ton of key plays and some really soul-crushing mistakes by the Jayhawks put them home early. I think about the, as I was listening, you know, I was covering which Wichita State baseball that day, so I didn't get to watch all the game live as it was happening, but as I was driving to my next engagement, listening to the Jayhawk radio network, there were two plays that really stuck out to me, and there were mistakes. It was a mistake-laden end to the game for the Jayhawks in the last 10 minutes or so, but that 10-second violation from Harris, which was is, is still, to my knowledge, without explanation, and then the missed offensive rebound on the free throws with less than 30 seconds left in the game. Uh, Those are two gigantic plays. Arkansas scored on the ensuing uh, play after they got the turnover from the 10-second violation where there wasn't even even pressure. There was no pressure. Dewan Harris just lost track of where he was or what he was doing or the time. or I, I have no idea what he was doing. And then the Razorbacks got free throws after Craig Porter had missed a couple of clutch shots. He made a couple of clutch shots for the Razorbacks. And all in all, at the end of the day, that was enough to send the Jayhawks home in the second round of the NCAA tournament and end the career of Jalen Wilson. Yeah, I, I really think down the stretch uh, for, the, for the Jayhawks, they just got out toughed. Um, you know, Arkansas made more clutch it's quite shots. An accusation. I, I just think that's what it was. I think that, you know, down the stretch, Arkansas made more clutch shots, made their free throws, and the Jayhawks defensively could not get a stop. And, you know, you could hey, before tell. Before you continue, yeah. um, can I self-report? Did I say Craig Porter? I, I believe I meant to say uh, Ricky, Ricky Council, Council yeah. the fourth yeah. was the guy. Sorry, I crossed up my former Shockers. <laughs> please, please continue. Uh, well, the difference is at least Craig Porter returned to Wichita State, where Ricky Council yeah. did yes. not. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, but the Jayhawks just couldn't—they couldn't get a stop, you know, down the stretch. And, and it was—it was pretty clear that when the tide started to turn, the momentum started to move towards the direction of Arkansas, that KU just had a really difficult time stemming the tide and, you know, getting back under control. And I don't want to knock, and I'm not going to knock, Norm Roberts whatsoever. And there's no guarantees that a healthy Bill Self on the sideline would have made the Jayhawks win that game. There's no Not a Norm Roberts issue at all, in my opinion. But I will say that when you are lacking and you're missing the best X's and O's coach in the game and a coach that has probably created more points for his team out of timeouts, well-timed timeouts down the stretch, working officials, probably better than any other coach in the game right now. You're missing him on 20 years. you're, You're missing him on the sideline in a crucial one point, ultimately decided ball game to go to the second weekend of the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I mean, maybe things might have been a little bit different. The outcome might have been a little bit different. Or, you know, maybe they would have never been in that position to begin with if you had the Hall of Famer Bill Self on the sideline. Who knows? Not a knock on Norm Roberts. He didn't ask to be put in that position. He didn't ask to be the head coach, and he filled in admirably. Uh, And I love Norm Roberts to death, and I don't blame him whatsoever for any of this. Um, But, you know, you're missing a national championship winning and Hall of Fame head coach on your sideline. And, you know, somebody that can, uh, you know, instill confidence and can calm the waters a little bit and you just you really felt like the last 
God, I don't know, eight minutes of that game, the Jayhawks were rattled. They were rattled. They were tense. And they had a really, really hard time loosening up. They had a really hard time settling down. And, you know, and they were so surprising given all the big games yeah. that they had and all the returning players that they had. I didn't think it was a toughness issue. I thought that they just weren't they weren't confident. And yeah. I don't know why they weren't because they, they should be confident based on what the guys that came back did last year. Even the guys that weren't on the team, like Kevin McCuller, Texas Tech had a great run last year. Grady Dick earlier this year had great games. Jalen Wilson obviously had a taste of cutting the nets down. So the there were a ton of guys on this team who knew exactly what it took to do what needed to be done. But in the last eight minutes, this was a team that just kind of played as almost like a shell of itself. Yeah. And, you know, you've got such, you know, big time players uh, in Jalen Wilson and Kevin McCullard and even Grady Dick. You know, those guys have, have been there before. Dewan Harris won a national championship. Those guys have been there. Um, that they're they're veterans, they're established. Even Grady Dick, who was only a freshman, I, I consider a veteran just with the you know the amount of battle uh, that he had to face throughout the sure. course of his freshman year uh, at Kansas. But I didn't, I never really felt like this Kansas team was a legitimate national championship team. Never really felt like that, even when they were playing at their peak, and I felt like they were really good. I always thought, okay. To me, this is a Sweet 16 Elite Eight team. Uh, I don't. I never saw, and I know people were talking about their chances of repeating, and I, I get all of that. I just never really saw it. I did think they'd make it to the second weekend, so I was you know, disappointed that they they got bounced when they did. Um, but I don't really. I don't think it would have mattered because uh, if you watched UConn absolutely destroy Arkansas, um, I mean, man, they probably would have destroyed Kansas too in the Sweet Sixteen. Yeah, I mean, they, UConn has been playing tremendously. Now, would I like to think that UConn probably has their worst game of the tournament against Kansas? Maybe. Compared to the the other opponents that they've played, absolutely. And the frustrating thing I think about this is there have been so many of these other games, and you look and it's like, well, Northern Iowa just had their best three point shooting day, and or Jerry McNamara, who is this kid? And he, I thought you were going to name drop Ali for Oakmanesh for a second there. I don't. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> you know, Jerry McNamara for Syracuse in the national championship yeah. game, or Virginia Commonwealth against the Morris Twins, and all these games. Oregon and USC a couple that, of years ago when they lost by thirty four in the second they, round of the tournament, where they have these games and they just shoot the lights out Auburn. and play their oh my yes, god, and and play out of their minds. Villanova, yeah. And they play their best game that they've ever played against KU. Arkansas didn't do that. This is a team that shot three for 15 from the three-point line against Kansas. This is a team that committed, you know, KU only had 12 turnovers. KU didn't have its worst ever three-point shooting performance like it sometimes will. And and that was really the most disappointing thing from that loss. They were four of six from the three in the second half. It was the most disappointing thing about that loss for me was Arkansas could not hit the broad side of a barn shooting the basketball. And that that's not an anomaly. That's who they've been all year. They are a bad outside shooting team. It's not even that they're a mediocre. No, they are a bad outside, outside shooting team. And Kansas did a really good job in the first half pushing them to the outside, not letting them get down into the block. And that's for a couple of reasons, right? Because number one, Kansas doesn't have big post players to defend what Arkansas can do uh, down in the post. But then also, they're so bad shooting from the outside. Push them to the outside. Make them shoot it from deep. Make them settle for low percentage shots. And Arkansas, they weren't making anything unless they were getting down into the post. And then for some inexplicable reason, that went away in the second half. And, you know, credit, I I mean, I guess credit Eric Musselman and and Arkansas for making the proper adjustments to be able to, you know, limit their outside shooting and really get it in down low. But it worked. You have to credit Ricky Council the fourth. Yeah. I mean, this is a guy who Davis had an incredible second half. He was single-handedly brought Arkansas back into the game. And what happened with those two guys? Free throws in the second half. This is a team that shot 15 of 18 from the free throw line yep. in the second half. Ricky Council was 5 of 18 in the game. He made he missed 5 of his 6 threes, but you know what he did do? He got to his butt to the line in the second half and hit 10 of 11 free throws. 
Devontae Davis hit six of seven free throws. The guys combined to go two, two of ten from the three-point line. Right. And, the, and the Razorbacks, even though the Jayhawks, which did miss a couple of key free throws, but they shot 72% in the game. They, they shot fine. But this is a Razorback team that shot 81% and outscored the Jayhawks 15-12 to 12 in the second half. In a one-point ball game. It was a concerted effort for Arkansas in the second half they to stop made, shooting from deep, to, get, yes. to to drive the ball, get to the line, and make their free throws, and it worked. And then not only that, but look at the three-pointers attempted. They attempted nine in the first half, and how many times do you see the analysts will say, well, maybe they ought to pound the ball inside, and they'll, the other team will come out, and they'll just keep shooting threes because yeah. that's their identity. That's what they're going to do, and that's what their coach wants them to do. Like, you have to shoot the ball like the next one's going in. Musselman said, hey, guess what? You guys suck right. from the outside. Maybe let's try to go inside where we could actually do something. And they listened. They worked. They went inside, and even though they didn't generate as many shots on the inside, they generated 18 free throws attempted. Yep. They attempted 18 free throws in the second half. So KU di- did a poor job of not packing it in defensively and making that much, much more difficult for Arkansas. And then you end up with you know, uh, the front end of a free throw that Ricky Council misses, that KU just doesn't get the rebound. I mean, that reminds me so much of that stupid Oregon game where KU doesn't get that rebound. And, you know, and then, boy, you hate to put so much on Dewan Harris because he's been so good this year. He had 12 points in the game, only three turnovers. But I really felt like like when, they, when Brian Haney was calling that game and said, there was a 10-second violation, yeah. and there was not an Arkansas player within like a, five yards of him. You're thinking, what is going on? Inexcusable. How, and I how went does back, that happen? I went back and watched it a few different times. I don't know if you did. I mean, it was so close. It, it was. It was a 10-second violation. But there's no, re- it, but yeah, there's no reason, it was reason to be in that Why position. Why be right? that close? And how yes. many, how many the thousands and thousands of times has Dewan Harris brought the ball up the court? You know, like I'm you, never like that. And and so, you know, in a critical, you know, and he even Brian Haney said it at the time, you know, sure hope that doesn't come back to, to bite the Jayhawks. And it turns and out. It and maybe it did. It did. Yep. Yeah, maybe it did. You know, this this Kansas team, there's so much promise early in the year, kind of had to find themselves. The career of Jalen Wilson comes to an end as of this recording. We have not heard anything about Grady Dick and his uh, plans for the NBA. I, you know, there were some fan, some guys at the watch party that I was watching with. A lot of KU fans were there. Uh, we were there for the poker night that you missed, oh, by yeah, the way. Not right. the, you don't you don't have time to to do that anymore. <laughs> but um, the they were talking about oh uh, Grady Dick, he would really benefit from an extra year back, no, and won't. I don't think he's ready. It's like no, he, there is a there is a point. One percent chance that he comes back. Yeah. Because if he is going to be a lottery pick, then there is a zero percent chance he's coming back. And whether or not None he's, whatsoever, yeah, whether or not he's ready right now, that's not even the point. NBA teams want him for what he will be, and they are willing to draft him and develop him themselves. Uh, and you're going to get the best player development right. that you can get 100%. in the NBA. 100%. Now, will he enjoy playing basketball in front of the fog next year? Absolutely. I think that he will. And maybe there is a number in the NIL that would keep him at KU, but it would have to be a very high number. And I'm sure that there's, I mean, I saw him during the game, like he's doing a Ford commercial for some car dealership. And I'm like, what is going on in my college basketball right now (laughs) with Grady Dick doing these commercials while he's at KU? Look, they've got a lot to replace, you know, this offseason with Grady Dick and Jalen Wilson. And then, you know, just in the last few days, a lot of transfer. You know, you've got Joe uh, Joe Yesifu, Bobby Pettiford, MJ Rice, Zach Clements, Cam Martin, all five of those guys announcing that they're going to be transferring. So it's going to be a brand new look, you know, team for the Jayhawks. They will. We know Dewan Harris should be back. We know KJ Adams should be back. Beyond that, who really knows? Uh, you know, it's going to be kind of a, would, a crapshoot from there. You would certainly hope that the way that Ernest Uday had some big games in the NCAA tournament and really started to show like, man, now that it's going to be my team next year, like yeah. I might be able to be that next guy who's going to be the David McCormick or the Wayne Simeon or the, you know, um, oh my God, Yudoka Azubuki. How did I forget him of all those guys? You know, the Jeff with, I'm going to be the next big man at KU 
that's going to happen because he showed some glimpses the next Mitch down Lightfoot, the stretch. Potentially, maybe. <laughs> well, I mean, I think he's probably hoping for a little bit better than that. You know, there's a lot of those guys, you know, in terms of Pettiford. I, I don't. I just don't think that that really hurts KU that much. We never got to see Cam Martin. I'm telling you, he could go to a place. There have been a couple of guys on, on Twitter. I said that I saw that said, "Man, how about Cam Martin to Wichita State?" I'm telling yeah. you, Shocker fans, if you get him at 100, percent he plays like he did in the MIAA. I believe that he can play at that level. I think he'd be a really good player at Wichita State. But you look at some of the other guys. I just don't think that Yesifu was that big. Is that big of a loss? I don't think Pettiford's that big of a loss. I certainly don't think Zach Clements is that big of a loss for KU. They just never did anything. So, but you know, it does leave a lot of voids, a lot of work to be done. And KU is still working off a self-imposed penalty of one less scholarship. So uh, after Bill Self does get back to 100% from his heart procedure. Uh, Certainly looks like he's going to have a lot of hard work to do to, to get KU ready uh, to, to contend for another Big 12 championship and what's going to be a – and we can kind of wrap up with this, Tommy, for both KU and Kansas State. It is going to be a very wild and very weird year next year, the one year of the Big 14 teams in the Big 12. Um, God, I hope that we actually, if we expand with Pac-12 teams, can we please have the right number in our conference name? Please just change the name to Big 14 or 16 or whatever it is and don't be Big 12 with 14. God, I hate well, it that. Will be, it'll be the Big 12 again once Texas and Oklahoma leave. It will be. You're adding love it. four and then you're going to be subtracting you're two. Subtracting two. But next year, Tommy, it'll be the Big we're bringing in the Big 12 is bringing in some high quality basketball programs. Texas is going to be it'll be very interesting to see how Texas recovers from all this. Are they ever going to hire Terry as their head coach? Hello. They are. What yeah, is it's going, done. It's official. Is it done? It's okay, done. thank goodness. It's a five-year yeah, deal. He, he they had his their his welcome press conference I think within the last 24 hours. Okay, so it just happened here yeah. as we we're recording this. I was like, what is taking so long? Yep. Um, but that is going to be a very difficult and kind of a special year in the Big 12 next year with the new teams coming in, the two teams going out. And not going to be very easy to navigate for KU or Kansas State in this tough top-tier league. Yeah, and I, I still say that Houston is a, is a fraud. Um you know, but I'm glad that they're joining the Big 12 because are you, I think it's why, gonna, are you joining? Are, is, are you been hanging out with Weston mm, too much? Uh, Weston has converted me into a believer about the Houston Cougars. About the wow, yeah, the think, fraudulentness. I think, wow. I, think I think they're a fraud. Um, but no, I they're a good program. They're they're good. Uh, I don't think they're elite. I think they've played in a weak American and they've ran over everybody and they're they're consistently overvalued. So I'm looking forward to having them in the Big 12 because I think that they will be appropriately valued by playing in a tougher conference like the Big 12. So I'm looking forward to that. And then the other additions with BYU and Cincinnati and UCF. Um, it's going to be a really wild year next year before Texas and OU should be a lot of fun. It's going to be amazing. It should be really, really interesting and fun to watch. And uh, I think that Houston's still going to be a top 25 team. I, I I don't think that they're going to be, you know, like the number one overall no. seed, which, you know, we talked no. about the seeding and uh, that was what a, catas- a catastrophe of a joke that that was in terms of KU not being the number one overall seed. Not that that necessarily had anything to do with the loss or whatever. I don't buy into that, that, oh, well, if they'd have been a number one overall seed, they'd have gotten a better. And, you know, I, I don't buy that at all. You, you, you need to be able to beat every number eight seed if you're going to be the national champion, in yep. my opinion. Uh, but yes, it should be a really, really fun year for KU and Kansas State as they look forward to the uh, next and final year of Oklahoma and Texas in the Big 12. Which brings us to the team that did not go dancing, but hasn't stopped them from making a bunch of moves and being in the news as Wichita State has found their head coach going south of the border to Oklahoma to take Paul Mills from Oral Roberts. He led the Golden Eagles back to the top of their program's history, a 30-win season last year, and he will be the next head coach of Wichita State men's basketball. Talked about at his introduction, and I know that you have talked to him on your radio show a couple of times on KFH, but one thing that stood out to me about his press conference was that he understands the expectations and that he wants to exceed them for Wichita State. So talk to us about your sense. I, w- I want to get your thoughts on this since you've actually talked to the guy 
I believe you've also talked to the guy who hired him, Kevin Saul. Um, but talk about your initial impressions from talking to Paul Mills, your thoughts of the press conference, and what the expectations of Shocker Nation should be for year one of the Paul Mills era. I was on the fence about it when the, he first was hired, when the announcement first came down. I kind of thought, eh, man, that's not a really overwhelming name. It's not something that, you know, well, it's What gonna... name would have overwhelmed you? Um, you know, there were a couple. I was firmly on the Mark Turgeon train for a while, bringing him back to <laughs> Wichita. Were. But then as soon as, as soon as it was, you know, reported that he kind was of dissipated pretty out quick. And, you know, that kind of went away. Uh, Chris Jans was not realistic for Wichita State. Uh, he's I agree. in an SEC program. I just didn't see that happening. I thought the one name that for me was really exciting uh, during the search was Darian DeVries from Drake. Uh, just what he has done with that Drake program over the years. Um, they're exciting. It's an exciting brand of basketball. I was really into him and just looking at some of his press conferences, really, you know, kind of an exciting character. Um, and it wasn't that I was underwhelmed by Paul Mills. I just didn't really know a ton about him. I knew that he had taken Oral Roberts to the tournament a couple of years. I knew they made a sweet 16 run, um, you know, knew that he had one of the the best players in Division One basketball in Max A. Smith in, in the program at Oral sure. Roberts, um, who led, I think, all Division One players in scoring. Uh, I, you know, and so, like, I knew that he, he did some really good things there. I just didn't know enough about him personally to really really be super excited about the hire until I started doing a little bit of research. And um, really for me, it started with the press conference. I thought he did a great job at that. Um, To me, he strikes me as Greg Marshall light. Uh, he strikes uh, you're me. You're not as, the first person who have said that. Like Greg Marshall without the emotional issues. Right. Greg Marshall without the anger issues. Um, somebody who is very <laughs> If you want to be not so polite yeah. about it, sure. Uh, you know, somebody who's very passionate can be fiery on the sidelines, but is a very high character person. Uh, And to be completely honest and completely frank, that's what Wichita State had been lacking for a while. Not that Isaac Brown didn't have high character, but... I agree, uh, I think he did. the, The program was lacking a leader that had both the passion and the character. And Isaac Brown had the character, didn't really have the passion. And then, I, I don't know if that's 100% fair because I think that there are different ways that you didn't can... Didn't have the outward connection no, with not the at passion, all. But right? I think you can have passion without necessarily, like, you know, Coach Terry at Texas, was, at Texas yeah, wasn't necessarily sure. that guy that was going to, you know, get, you know, jump around like a crazy person on the sideline. Not everybody can be Jerome Tang, you know what I, you right. know what I mean? You know, and, and I, you know, um, Paul Mills does not strike me as the kind of guy, you know, who's going to you know, cuss out a student about a parking space on a campus. Doesn't strike <laughs> I me. I don't, doesn't strike I don't me. Think that the, they hire people yeah, like that at oral Roberts. Doesn't strike me as the kind of person that, you know, is going to go viral for chasing down a referee at an exhibition game in Canada and having to be restrained. <laughs> uh, don't you think know, they have people like that at oral Roberts. Doesn't strike me as the kind of guy who is allegedly going to punch a player in a practice and choke an assistant coach. Like that no. doesn't strike me as that kind of guy. However, if you, there was an article that was put out by, um, God, what publication was it? The Sporting News, maybe, about Paul Mills when he was at Oral Roberts. And he kind of built himself a little bit into a villain in the Summit League. Like, a lot of the opponents in that league, they like to boo him because he would get fiery on the sidelines. But he ultimately cares about his players and is never going to cross that line to where sure. you're questioning his character. You know, and, and I think that there was so much of that over the years at Wichita State where you kind of excused. You knew in the back of your mind the character issues were there and they weren't acceptable, but you excused it because they were winning. And that happened for a long and time. Winning and winning so much. Winning so much. And so he's like, all right, well, you know, you don't, we don't need to know how the sausage is made. You know, it's just as long as we're, we're just winning. keep my plate just, full. Exactly. That's all we need. Uh, keep the money rolling in and, you know, the good times rolling. That's all that matters. Keep going to the final right? four. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, you know, the press conference I thought was great. I thought that Kevin Saul and Paul Mills did a really good job at establishing their shared vision and what they both expect out of the program. Uh, and I feel like they are both very aligned. And then just in the opportunity that I had to talk with uh, Paul Mills, I just got the sense out of him that he is solid. He's steady. Um, he's genuine. And I think a lot of that comes from we talked about Jerome Tang coming from that Scott Drew coaching tree. And I've yeah, heard a no lot joke. of people heard a lot of people say this before, and I wholeheartedly agree. Um, I never would have thought 
that Scott Drew would have such a vibrant coaching tree. Nothing against Scott Drew. I just, he didn't strike me as the kind of guy that you would be like, oh my God, we got to hire one of his guys. Uh, But it's happened with Jerome Tang and now it's happened with Paul Mills. And I know that uh, Jerome Tang and Paul Mills are like the best of friends. They were roommates for a while. Um, Yeah. And and so I think that they're cut from the same cloth a little bit. And, you know, Mills seems like the kind of guy who is going to want to be incredibly competitive. He's got high expectations for himself, but he's also going to want to do things the right way. And, And that was my big takeaway from him. Well, one thing that immediately pops to mind with those two guys coaching at these two programs feels like if there's ever going to be the long-term renewal of the Wichita State-Kansas State basketball series, and there was already that with Bruce Weber in Manhattan, seems like that has a great possibility of happening now with Mills and Tang and, and, you know, obviously... there's always going to be the coaches and and what they need to do with their schedule to get back. But, you know, in terms of if Wichita State, when Wichita State is a good program, you know, they're not going to hurt you. And, I mean, as Kansas found out, you know, you don't need to play that many quad one games to to get a seed in the NCAA tournament. In fact, just play less and win more and you'll be fine. Um, But if that series is ever going to get into a long-term relationship, feels like it could get put back together really quickly with these two guys at the helm. Um, It's very interesting to hear and see another Scott Drew guy come because, you know, those are two guys that coached at Baylor for a long time. I mean, I think Paul Mills was there for 14 years. Jerome Tang would have been there longer. Almost I don't know 20. how long, but he was. Yeah, yeah there's was like 20 years. So these are guys that are involved in a long-term process because you'll remember, you know, there was a while there that it just looked like Scott Drew, like all he's going to be able to do is to be 500 in the Big 12, and that's all he's ever going and to at be. at the time, that would have been considered a success for Baylor. I mean, do you remember sure. how bad that program was when I Scott do. Drew? I mean, that was the biggest turnaround I think in the history of college basketball I mean a player murdered another player you know like it was so bad and I mean you know just the job that they did uh, absolutely and the job that they did there of which Tang gets credit Mills gets credit and obviously Drews gets the most credit it's the greatest program build in the history of college basketball and probably one of the top three program builds in the history of college sports yeah I mean you immediately for me I immediately put it up there with Wichita State baseball Kansas State football Baylor basketball that's uh, name me another program that has built itself up from where Baylor was and how awful they were and didn't even get to play a home game for a year because of how in uh, in absolute despair that program was in the you know they were in a cesspool the size of Waco with that program and they won a national championship so I don't know what the turnaround is going to be like the AAC is going to be in a much different spot next year because they've got new members coming in now as we mentioned earlier on this show these are members from the conference US say, and I'm sure a lot of Shocker fans thought, man, this conference is taking a step down. We're losing Houston. We're losing Cincinnati. These programs with name recognition. And you are, in terms of name recognition, you're absolutely right. losing market share. There's no question about it. Just like the Big 12 is losing market share with Oklahoma and Texas, there's no question about that. But in terms of the quality of basketball programs that they are building, that they're bringing in, American may not be all that as easy as you think that it might be next year. So I'm not sure sure how this is going to work because you mentioned the the vision that he has for the program that vision is going to be tested early because uh, there are a ton of guys that have left for Wichita State we don't know exactly who's going to be back there are some that have already signed NIL deals with armchair uh, to in order to remain shockers but there are just like with KU there's going to be a lot of empty spots on the bench for Coach Mills to fill and go to the transfer portal and try to bring guys in this year so he's got a lot of of work to do to get ready for the opening of the games coming up on November. That's priority number one is building the roster. Has to be. And, uh, you know, Colby Rogers and Quincy Ballard both committed back to Wichita State uh, with NIL deals through armchair strategies. Jaquan Walton, the leading scorer from the team, uh, committed to Alabama, entered the transfer portal. He's off to Bama. 
disappointing. Uh, but we don't even is. we don't we don't even know. We talked about this on the radio show. We don't even know that he would have fit into the system that Paul Mills has. Now, of course, regardless, he's a great talent. And now you've got to try to replace that production. And a lot of that's going to come from the transfer portal. We don't know if Kenny Poto will be back. We know he's in the portal. He could choose to come back. We don't know. Craig Porter Jr. is graduating. He's gone. Uh, there's a couple of other graduates. James Rojas, Isaiah Porbear Chandler. Those guys are gone. Um, Jerron Pierre, he had flashes of really good things this season. Haven't heard from him whatsoever. Um, so th- there's going to be, and I know that those conversations are happening now with Paul Mills and the players, figuring out exactly who's a good fit, who's going to stick around, who's going to you know look elsewhere. They've got a, a kid by the name of Makai Miles that Isaac Brown recruited that currently is committed to Wichita State. He's a three-star guy out of Mississippi. Uh, for now, he's honoring his commitment. Who knows if that's going to hold? We just don't know in this world. But as far as expectations are concerned, and this goes back to your original question, Question. Even though there's a lot of uncertainty with the roster, my expectation for the results for Wichita State, they don't change at all with the hiring of Paul Mills. My expectations before they hired Paul Mills and my expectations now are exactly the same. And that is in the world of NIL and the transfer portal, Jerome Tang did it at Kansas State. You can build a team that is successful right away. The rebuilds don't have to take multiple years. And in the case of Wichita State, I don't feel like they can take multiple years. You don't have that luxury of, uh, you know, keeping the fan base waiting that long. We saw apathy start to set in with the fan base during this season. And so you've got to strike while the iron is hot now. And I'm not suggesting that they need to reach the top of the mountain this coming year. I'm not suggesting they need to be incredible. I'm just saying you can't be, you can't be bad. Like it's the, in the world of college basketball today, you can build a pretty solid team through the transfer portal. And now that we know that Wichita state has a solid NIL collective and armchair that can help facilitate some of this stuff, there's no excuse and no reason that they shouldn't have at least a level of success this season, better than what they did this last one. Well, and that's the last thing I want to end you on. He talked about, and I mentioned it when we started this topic, I'm excited about being a part of Shocker Nation. I know the expectations here. This is his words, but we want to succeed to exceed them. I'm sure that Kansas State fans did not have at all any kind of aspirations or expectations of doing what Jerome Tang did this year. I'm sure that Shocker fans are going to look up there to Manhattan and say, well, why can't we be a top 25 team next year? What is a reasonable expectation for? For this team, and can Coach Mills exceed it? I think if they can finish, I, in, I, just to cut, you, sorry yeah. to cut you off, because I think that thinking that Wichita State's going to go to the Elite Eight and no, that's your no, expectation, no, 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 based on what Kansas State did, like, no, come on, wake I, up! I'm just saying that you can build a successful roster through the transfer portal. Regardless of the results of it, you can build a successful team in one year. You don't have to wait multiple years and build up a team through recruiting and high school and all of that stuff. I mean, I mean, how many times over the years in college basketball have you had a really, really great team that is senior heavy, the seniors all graduate, and then they're left with nothing while you're waiting for the freshmen and sophomores to mature? That's not the world anymore in college basketball. You can build a team you know, right away that can be you know, successful. So as far as expectations for me for next season for Wichita State, I believe, I feel like if they can finish in the top three in the American, uh, and, and keep in mind, regardless of it being Florida Atlantic and you know UAB and North Texas, these schools that have had success, it will end up being by resume a little bit weaker of a conference than it currently sure. is right now. And so I think that if you can finish in the top three in the American next season and play in a postseason um, and maybe be in consideration for an NCAA tournament bid um, and staying relevant down the stretch, I think that becomes a, a success for Wichita State in the year one of, of the Paul Mills era. Uh, Either way, it's going to be very interesting to watch and see how Coach Mills will put this thing together in Wichita. Time to go to probably our favorite portion of the show. It's time to go to maybe the best theme music in all of sports podcasting. Yes, it's time to hit the music as we go around Wichita for a Wichita whip around. The best stories in Wichita sports the last couple weeks that maybe you might have missed. Tommy, where are you going for your whip around this week? So I'm going to start with... 
with uh, what looked to be an absolutely epic baseball game the other night at Riverfront Stadium. With Wichita State baseball taking on OU. Um, It's always a great game because it's the first time that you get to see Riverfront in action because the wind surge, they haven't started yet. So Wichita State kind of kicks off the baseball season downtown with that matchup. Uh, Shout out to Brock Rodden. The, the, yeah. the game-winning home run come from behind. What was a three-run homer to win the game for the yes, Shockers? Yes, it was. Um, just incredible. five RBIs yeah, in the game, just, by the way. Just incredible. And so uh, that was so much fun. And then, of course, we all know about Shocker softball back in the top 25. Uh, Sidney McKinney is the best athlete on the planet, uh, bar none. I mean, it's just incredible. Um, so I feel like things are, are going well for the Diamond Sports of Wichita State. Of course, softball is, is leading the way. But I'm really pleased with the direction that Lauren Hibbs has taken the baseball program and, uh, you know, getting, getting into conference play. There's a long way to go, uh, but uh, I, I think that the arrow is pointing upwards for Shocker Baseball. I'm going to go to Newman University Baseball as Garrett Van Deventer has been named the MAAA Pitcher of the Week for the second time this season. Earlier this year, he had a complete game victory as the Jets knocked off the number 21 Rogers State Hillcats in a three-game series. Jets fell last week to Central Oklahoma, but uh, he got the game one win in that series over the Broncos, lasting eight innings, surrendering just three hits and one run, and it was on a pickoff play, so he gave up the run without having surrendered an RBI. Garrett Van Deventer, the Jets' best starter, ERA under four and a half. He is putting together a tremendous season. Four of his last five starts have been quality starts, so he's eating up innings. He is really doing a fantastic job controlling his off-speed pitches for the Navy and Red. Newman is back in action coming up on Friday this week. They are hosting Northwest Missouri for a three-game set, 3 o'clock on Friday, Saturday, and then 1 o'clock on Sunday. The Jets most recently beat Fort Hay State in their midweek series on Tuesday, so they'll get the Tigers one more time this year on a subsequent Tuesday back in Hayes, but they won that series on Tuesday, beating Fort Hay State earlier this week. Tommy, uh, that's it for me. Any additions, corrections, or attractions for you? I've got a couple of quick additions, one of which uh, actually broke while we were recording the show. Congratulations to the Lady Jayhawks and Brandon Schneider's uh, squad beating Washington. Oh, that's Washington. right. They were playing while we were recording, yeah, yes. Beating Washington in, uh, what, the semifinals of the women's WNIT NIT. semifinals. So they will be in the finals of the NIT taking wow. on Columbia. Um, so, again, that's an, an incredible season for the Jayhawks and quite a turnaround in that program. Uh, Brandon Schneider able to come in from Emporia and just it seems like – incrementally build that program over the years and he's done a great job this season well and it was interesting because they they really thought that they were going to make the ncaa tournament and when they didn't make it you know there's two ways that that can go you can either take it one way and say oh whoa was us we didn't make the dance so this doesn't matter and you just pack it in and you lose in the first and and you're just done in the ni in the nit or you go the way that KU has done, and they did this under Bonnie Hendrickson as well, going all the way to the WNIT, and and now they'll have a chance to play for a WNIT championship, um, and certainly they have taken advantage of their opportunities. Certainly, one would think between Columbia, I don't know where they play, but you think Columbia, Allen Fieldhouse. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm guessing that they're going to give KU the home game That'd in this be, one. I'm, yeah, I'm, I would think I'm so. I'm just guessing, yep. but I mean, against I don't know how good Columbia is is obviously they have to be playing pretty well and to make it to this point whether they're in the NIT or not but you would think against Columbia KU is probably favored to win a WNIT championship I don't know where the WNIT banner would go in Allen Fieldhouse but I'd love to find out yeah then uh, that's great and and so more power to them uh, congrats to Brandon Schneider and the squad there my other addition real quick and it's probably going to lead you right into uh, closing the show out opening day Major League Baseball is on Thursday. Uh, So as you're listening to this show, opening day uh, will be going on. And so looking forward to that. And I know we're going to be talking more about the Royals uh, in our next episode, but uh, I would rank opening day up there as one of my favorite days of the year. 
It is very interesting. It's all it's lost a little luster for me, although I think they're doing this less now because they started playing those early games in Japan. So it wasn't really opening day for like, you know, half the teams and they kind of stagger it now. And it used to be an opening day. That was the first day. It's opening day for everybody. Right. I think they're starting to get more back to that now. So that's exciting where it's a beautiful time. Every team thinks they have a chance except for the Royals because we don't eh, think that they have any prayer. What, uh, we're, we're pretty sure. Sure. I do have one addition to make. That is Addison Barnard. She has fought through some injuries, not nearly at the clip that she was last year, but she has broken the career home run record for Wichita State softball or earlier this month. 59 home runs in her career, and she's past that now. She's over 60 now. But Addison Barnard, in just a very short amount of time, has established herself as the home run queen in Wichita State softball history. So we certainly are very, very thankful that she is back in play playing after her injury. She had to miss a series with a shoulder injury, uh, but certainly is hitting the ball much, much better than she did earlier in the season. Well, uh, Tommy, it is time to segue to next week's show. And yes, we are going to be talking Royals baseball. A little bit late to be getting to our Royals preview, but we'll have a couple of weeks of Royals baseball. We'll kind of prognosticate out the season and see where Royals baseball, where we think it will end up. Do they have a chance to uh, compete in the Central? Maybe Tommy thinks that they do. Uh, you eh, can probably tell no. the side that I think that that, that I'm no. on based on my tone here. But I can be optimistic, right? I mean, sure, you can you can be optimistic. I mean, you guys were optimistic. Did you say they were going to win 80 games or something last year? How'd that work out? I thought that they would be better. I thought they would. I thought they were going to be 500. Uh, and, so that was a little uh, bit of a mistake. Yeah, it was that, that was a bit of a miss. Uh, so we'll see if they can exceed our expectations this year. So we'll be talking Royals baseball. Probably mention the wing nuts as well as. Oh my God! The, 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 the wing, the wind surge, not the wing nuts. The wind surge, the wing nuts. Yeah, we won't be mentioning them at all. But no. uh, the wind surge will be getting started here very quickly in Wichita as well, and we'll circle back around to Shocker softball, Shocker baseball, as both of those programs are going to be getting into AAC play here in the next couple of weeks. So we'll see you in a couple of weeks here on the Cog Pod. As we have mentioned, really appreciate you guys liking, sharing, and subscribing to the show. Cogpod.com. If you would like to. Stay up to date with us, CogPod on Twitter. And Tommy, for our beloved audio listeners, how can they reach you on Twitter? Yeah, you can always follow me on Twitter at Tweets from Tommy. And I am at B-E Crips, B-E-C-R-I-P-P-S. So that is a wrap on our basketball coverage for 2022-23. We'll talk some Royals baseball next week on the Keeper of the Games. Take care, guys. You've been listening to Keeper of the Games. Don't forget to subscribe, download, and listen on all major podcast platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and more. Visit our website at cogsports.com. Find the podcast and videos on Facebook and YouTube at Keeper of the Games. And follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at cogpod. That's K-O-G pod.